Let's turn to uh, Romans chapter 13. Um, can I just say a little bit about the decades in Dundee thing? The idea was I wanted it just to be a kind of outreach uh, thing and you could invite fr- friends along too and I've been involved in a lot of different things so uh, Myrtle Fraser who's the deputy leader of the Scottish Conservatives, this is not a political point I could have invited, in fact I did invite people from different political parties, um, Myrtle Fraser will be here, uh, I'm going to do a short interview with him, um, uh, Kevin McKenna the Guardian journalist he will be here and also Jim Tarrant the Central Baptist preacher, uh, he will be here. And uh, God willing, Jim Spence, the BBC journalist, uh, will also uh, be here. So it's just, it'll be a, a, a casual evening. There'll be music, and uh, I hope it will be uh, a, an opportunity for you and to bring along non Christian friends as well. Now, uh, Romans 13. I'm going to read verses 1 to 7. It's on page 1140. This evening we will look at verses 8 to 14. Verses 1 to 7 talk about how we live as part of a a political society. And then the the second is how we live in in our, our secular world. And I think both of them are very, very relevant. And I believe that if we as Christians follow this through that it would transform our world and our city. Uh, I also believe that if you're here and you're not a Christian, you'll see something here of, of, uh, I hope, the beauty of Jesus. But let's read verses 1 to 7. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you, for he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now, a number of years ago, Tony Blair, when he was prime minister, was asked by a journalist, do you and George Bush pray together? And it was a mocking question, of course. And Alistair Campbell intervened and said the famous words, we don't do God. Now, um, what we read here is something that I think is, uh, would profoundly change our country if our political leaders understood and grasped this, and not just our country, but other countries as well. Now, when I was looking at this, I realized there are some people going, immediately I read this passage, they kind of go, oh, well, there's nothing for me here because I'm not interested in politics. Uh, I'm sorry, you're wrong. See, Scots are very educated people and we speak Greek. So we, we know about the polis. Um, <laughs> if you're from Glasgow, that's the police. 
But the polis in Greek, it's what he's speaking about here, is the community. I'm sure it wasn't said in a Glaswegian accent, but um, the polis is the community. It's what we belong to. And you might say, I'm not interested in politics. Yeah, you'd get interested in politics if you were in Libya right now and, and the whole society had collapsed. You get interested in politics if suddenly you lose your job. You get interested in politics if the police aren't funded, if the healthcare service isn't there. For anyone to say that they're not interested is, I understand when you say I'm not interested in party politics and I'm fed up of the whole lot and that kind of stuff. But actually you're then really saying you're not interested in other people and a Christian doesn't have that option. Paul is writing here about how we live at peace and that is very, very important. I think it's also very important in our culture because I, I've, I've been saying this for decades now and I really, really don't want to be a Jeremiah but I think that as we move away from Christianity and from our Christian foundation, things are going to get much worse. Um, and that's, I'm not being doom monger there, I'm, I'm hopeful that God will renew and restore. But in this country, it's gone in cycles. There's been dreadful times in this country and then there's been spiritual renewal and, and God has shown mercy and we hope that he will do so again. Second objection that people say is don't bring politics into the church. Well, that's right. You shouldn't hear party politics, nor should you hear political sermons. I, as I said, I, I'm going through this, I'm reflecting on different things, and this church is a polling station for people to vote. And I came down to work one day forgetting that, and there were people outside with their, you know, vote SMP, vote Labour, vote Lib Dem, vote Tory uh, banners or placards handing out leaflets. And I was pleasantly surprised to see that uh, three of the people there attended the church, but they were all different parties. And the irony was that the Labour person thought I was voting for them, the Tory person thought I was voting for them, and the SNP person thought I was voting for them. So if you're here, I'm not telling you uh, how I voted, but I just thought, well, that's good, because they, they don't know. Um, but we don't do party politics, and you should never hear in a church someone telling you who to vote for. That's way beyond the competence of any minister. We're here to preach the word of God. Nor, by the way, should you hear political sermons. We're here to teach the word of God. And here the word of God gives us some basic principles for our culture and for our society that I think help all of us understand. It's not just here, it's in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13 where Peter says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. So Paul, having dealt with how uh, we relate to God and to ourselves, to one another and to our enemies, now deals how do we relate within the context of society and government uh, that we have. By the way, the governing authorities here does refer to the political authorities. People try and argue that it's the spiritual authorities Sometimes Paul uses the word to speak of um, different powers, angels and demons and so on. That is not what is being referred to here and the context makes that abundantly clear.
And I think also this is an exposition of Jesus' words, give to Caesars what is Caesars and give to God's what is God's. Now to get the context of this will really help you because the Roman Christians were wondering how to react to a Caesar who was persecuting them. Ultimately, Nero uh, was to blame the Christians, but earlier in AD 49, just before this letter was written, the Emperor Claudius had exiled all the Jews from Rome on account of their riotous behavior. And by the way, that riotous behavior came because the Christians came and taught in the synagogues and people rioted, and there were literal riots. So all the Jews, and in the emperor's eyes, that included the Christians, were thrown out. By the time Paul writes this letter, they are allowed back. The Romans continued to oppress the Jewish people in Jerusalem, and in the year AD 66, that was to become a severe repression. Uh, Ultimately, under Nero, it was to become a persecution, particularly of the Christians. Um, There were also some groups here who were advocating not paying taxes, which also helps us get the context of this. Uh, I like listening to a program called In Our Time, and I was walking down to the church this week, and the subject was the Emperor Nero. And knowing what I was going to be preaching on, I found it incredibly moving because they discussed how whether Nero had set fire to Rome, which he probably did, how the rumor went round that he had done it, and so he sought for someone to blame, and the Christians were the group that he wanted to blame, were the easiest group. And Nero was a perverted, cruel, and wicked ruler. So amongst other things, he lined the main street with Christians and lit them as torches. That's how he lit the streets. It's, uh, it wasn't at that time that they went into the Colosseum. That came later. So the question is then, how do you, how do you react to an authority that is like that? Now, I, for me, I found that, that quite moving because Paul wrote this before that particular persecution happened. And yet, we know how the Christians reacted. We know what happened. We know that there wasn't a revolution We know that uh, often they went to their deaths singing praises to Jesus, and I can't can't grasp that. You know, you'd like to think that you would do it. Um, I remember one time when I'd just become a Christian as a a young schoolboy, I I thought, I'd read all these, um, I was like, um, we fell out the front just saying about becoming a minister. Well, I was going to be a missionary. You know, and I was going to go to China and I was going to die for Jesus. The communists were going to kill me. That was my ambition in life. Uh, it may yet come true. But I, I, that's, you know, I thought I could suffer anything for Jesus Christ. And I remember um, being bullied for being a Christian once and just, completely, oh, I'm out of here. I'm giving up on this. I thought I could suffer nothing. So it just astounds me that these people were so, uh, got this. This, this letter from Paul had such an impact upon them. So that's the, the background. Let me just go through the basic principles. I, and I, I, I've studied this for so many years and, and written about so much of it that I, I'm going to have to 
keep it short and just give principles, but there's plenty I can refer you to if you want to know more. First of all, it's this, very simple. Governments established by God. Verse 1, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Government does not evolve. It has come from God. Now, you have to know what it's not saying. It's not saying that a particular ruler like Nero or Hitler or Saddam Hussein or even, I'm not comparing, Nicola Sturgeon, Theresa May, it's not saying that they have been specifically chosen by God. They, they, um, Donald Trump, President Trump, cannot stand there and say, I was chosen by God. So I was chosen by God. No, saying it's the office that is being spoken of. It's the post that's been ordained. God has chosen that there be political authorities. That's why we ought to be quite careful when we're so dismissive. Oh, I hate all politicians. But, but God has chosen that there be politicians. So be careful. God has provided. And you may say, oh, well, wouldn't it be great if we had a society without political leaders? Try it and see. You know, I, I think of this. Gaddafi was an awful ruler. And amongst other things, amongst other countries, we decided that we would bomb him out of existence. Every Libyan, I've met a few, said they would rather live under Gaddafi than live what they've got just now. Because it's anarchy that's replaced. Now that's not to stand for a particular um, in, intolerance uh, or cruel dictator or anything like that, as we'll see. But government is established by God. Note also that he does not say that one particular form of government has been ordained. So as Winston Churchill said, democracy is the worst form of government there is apart from all the others. And uh, there are those of us who would say, well, democracy, and I would argue that democracy came out of biblical teaching and actually primarily came out of Calvinism. And it's in those countries where the, the Reformation took place that you developed democracy. And the greatest democracy of all, of course, was the United States. And one of the things you should pray about is the fact that as the United States jettons, jettisons its Christianity, they've got nothing else. They really have nothing else. But people don't see that danger. But Paul is not teaching here that one particular form of democracy is, is what God, God is arguing for, or one particular form of government. Even if you live under a dictatorship, government is ordained of God. And then notice what's said here, that they are servants of God. And he uses an amazing term, because he uses the term from which we get liturgy, which really means they are like priests. They are like the leaders in the temple. And I think there are some enormous implications for our society with that. And as usual, of course, I will cite Calvin. He said this, Magistrates may learn what they, must learn what their vocation is, for they are not to rule for their own interest. Listen to this carefully. They are not to rule for their own interest, but for the public good. Nor are they endued with unbridled power, but what is restricted to the well-being of their subjects in short, they are responsible to God and to men in the exercise of their power. Now, when Calvin taught that, that was a revolutionary doctrine because he was saying, no, 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 the kings, the political leaders don't have absolute power and they answerable to God but also to men. 
Governments are there to serve, not to be the masters. And that is a fundamentally important principle that our politicians need to relearn. Verse 2, government is to be obeyed. Government's established by God. Government is to be obeyed. He who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now, Paul knew what happened to Jesus. He knew he was executed by both religious and political authorities. But these verses, or this verse, has probably been one of the most misunderstood verses in the whole of the Bible and one of the most misused. Oscar Kuhlman says this, Few sayings in the New Testament have suffered as much misuse as this one. As soon as Christians, out of loyalty to the gospel of Jesus, offer resistance to a state's totalitarian claim, the representatives of that state or the collaborationist theological advisors are accustomed to appeal to this saying of Paul as if Christians are here commanded to endorse and thus to abet all the crimes of a totalitarian state. So Hitler used this verse. I'm the authority. In South Africa, the apartheid regime used this verse. Even in communist countries, they used this verse. In Romania, for the Christians. You have to obey the authorities. I've heard politicians uh, in the United States use this verse and say, you've got to accept our policies because you have to obey us. Well, that is not what this verse teaches, and it's an example of taking a verse out of context. Government's ordained by God, and then as Stott says here, we are to submit up to the point where obedience to the state would mean disobedience to God. If the state uh, commands what God forbids or forbids what God commands, my plain Christian duty is to resist, not to submit, to disobey the state in order to to obey God. As Peter told the Sanhedrin, we must obey God rather than men. This verse, in its most extreme example, does not mean that because the German state commanded you to kill Jews that you are therefore obliged to kill Jews because the Bible says that you should. We know, we've got so many examples in the Bible. The Hebrew midwives who refused to obey the command of Pharaoh to kill the Israelite babies. Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to bow down before the statue, and they absolutely refused to do it. Or when the Sanhedrin banned preaching in the name of Jesus, you must not preach in this man's name anymore. They refused to do it. So, It's not, it cannot mean, you you cannot interpret Scripture by taking one verse out of context. It's just simply saying that we obey the government. I may not like the speed limit. I have to obey it. I may not like the fact paying, doing taxes or whatever. And there may be things even that I could look at and say, well, I think that's wrong. but, But where it comes to the point of disobedience is when the state tells me to do something that God tells me is wrong. And then I have no choice but to disobey the state. And we know this from Rome because the Christians were told, bow down to Caesar. That's what the state said. Well, Paul says you must do what they say. They refused and they were killed. So I think what we're being taught here is that the gospel is hostile to tyranny and it's hostile to anarchy. And the there is a basic principle of government being ordained by God. 
although we recognize that government can go wrong. Incidentally, I love what Luther says about this, about how can Christians do this? How can we stand up to the might of the state? And he says this, the world is conquered and subdued in no better way than by despising it. The spirit of the believer, therefore, is subject to no one, nor can it be subject to anyone. It is exalted with Christ, and all things are subdued at his feet. What can you do with people who don't care, ultimately, if you kill them? What can you do with them? See, here's the difference between what I would call Christianity and suicide bombers. Christianity... I would argue that in some religions, people are prepared to kill for their faith. In Christianity, you're prepared to die for your faith. And the reason is, you know that Jesus is king. So, governments given by God, government is to be obeyed. Uh, Verses 3 and 4, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. We're given a twofold summary of what the state is for to punish the wrongdoer and to reward the good. The one in authority is God's servant. So if you're a policeman, you're a servant of the state. You're in the military, you're a servant of the state. You're in in our context, in our culture, you're a social worker or a nurse. You're a servant of the state. But ultimately, that means that you are a servant of God. And again, I think that would make a phenomenal difference if people had that mindset. The government exists to punish the wrongdoers. You, you can't let, not in the absolute sense, but in the sense of um, restraining and stopping it happening again. The use of the sword here almost certainly refers to capital punishment. And the Bible does teach that ultimately only the state has the right to take someone's life. Now, there are lots of reasons to be against capital punishment, not least in a modern society as well, the injustice and the corrupt governments. There are Christians who are for it. There are others who are against it. But, uh, you know, I I struggle with that one myself. Should Adolf Hitler have been allowed to live? Should we spend a fortune looking after somebody who kills lots of people and then we don't have money to look after the poor? So there are lots of questions involved there, and it's more complex than people might think. But I do think that what's being said here is, at the very least, if we kill people, then um, we need to be there for there to be justice in our society. Otherwise, the cruel and the wicked get what they want, and the weak and the poor get hammered. What Paul is teaching here is that we do not take the law into our own hands. Lots and lots of movies and series kind of have this idea, you know, just think Liam Neeson, you know, you killed my daughter, I'm going to get you. And we say, ah, it's a good thing, it's a good, no, no, it's a horrendous way to be. We need, that's why it's so important that we have government that's just and government that's fair. And the authorities that are fair. And that's why when officials of the state are unjust and wrong, it's, it's so wrong. Um, if any of you watch Line of Duty, you'll doubt that there's an honest policeman left in the country. Uh, um, I hope the three boys at the front become policemen, and I hope they're Christians, because we could do with some. You know, that, that, but corrupt police, corrupt judges, it's absolutely horrendous. I, I've 
seen a situation where there was a judge who, um, because he played golf with somebody, gave them uh, a ruling that ended up, that was just totally unjust and totally unfair. And that can happen. Well, but we need justice. We, need, we can't take the law into our own hands. The sword here, what about war? I've got friends who think that uh, you, you should never, ever go to war. My grandfather believed that. He was a brethren, he was a pacifist, and he refused to go and fight in the Second World War. And I've told you this, some of you this before, that um, they didn't send him to jail. Uh, instead, they had him run a prisoner of war camp in the borders, which was on his farm, which was great. Um, I, I personally don't think the Bible does teach us to be pacifists, though again, other Christians disagree. But certainly one thing it does teach is we cannot be jingoistic and nationalistic in the sense of exalting our nation and wanting to kill other people just because they belong to a different nation. There's something uh, profoundly wrong about that. So governments are to punish evil, to punish the wrongdoer, but governments are also to do good. Look at verse 4. Uh, he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. By the way, I, I do think it's a good thing that punishment is part of what the state does. I know people say, no, 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 it shouldn't be that. I'll tell you why it's a good thing, because if you do not have that, then you lose all sense of discipline. And again, it's the weakest and the poorest who struggle the most. I'll give you one example from Dundee. I visited a man who um, was going to court to testify against uh, two people in his estate who had severely beaten and attacked a woman. And I was talking to him and he said to me, I I'm going to withdraw. I said, why? He said, you know what? He says, they'll get six months. And then they'll come out and he says, and they'll just, he says, they'll kill me. They'll do something to me. He says, there's no fear in that. He says, prison, prison doesn't hold any fear for these guys. He said, I can't do it. And so these two guys got away with attacking and abusing a woman because there's no punishment. So, you know, I, I think the Bible is actually spot on in that punishment, not in the sense of vengeance, but pu punishment in the, scent or in, in the sense of restraint. Again, just a very simple illustration. Um, maybe I use my mobile phone too much. Uh, I could use it when I'm driving. But I'll tell you, uh, now I know that there's quite a severe punishment for doing that. It acts as a restraining factor on me. And punishment does, the threat of punishment does act as a restraining factor. But the state is also to do good. Possibly here the idea of reward, the idea of uh, all being well and of justice. Um, some people, some Christians have this view of the state as entirely negative. I don't think Paul does. The state is to do good. Yeah. Um, what we have to do is, the, the state's responsibility is to care for the poor. And I, I, I think that's correct. I think we're here to do good. The state is here to do good, to protect the weak. To do so that we, as 1 Timothy 2 says, may live a quiet and orderly life. I, for one, am immensely thankful that I live in a country which has a welfare state. 
And when I've, I've read and, and studied the Beveridge Report, and he founded it on Christian principles. And here's the thing that's, that's, that's gone wrong. Our welfare state will collapse because the Christian principles on which he founded it are gone. And so people abuse and misuse. Beveridge used language in the Beveridge Report after the Second World War, which nowadays would be considered politically incorrect and, and would be banned. But I think it's very important that we have a society that cares for its weakest. And again, I've, I've mentioned it already, but inter, you know, Nurses' Day, I, I, think it's, I think it's a really good thing to be grateful for people who we pay our taxes to, who provi- help provide care, not just for us, but for others as well. I think we're to expect the state to protect freedom of religion. In Acts 16, 19 to 40, Paul stood on his rights as a Roman citizen. I am a Roman citizen. Being a Christian doesn't mean you just, oh, well, I'm just going to let everything go. You stand for justice because it's good for the whole of society as well. But let me add one caveat here. Don't expect too much of the state. Laws won't make people good. You might think if only we had a different system or different laws, if only Scotland was independent or the UK was out of the EU or the UK was in the EU, then everything would be better. No, it won't. Laws don't do that. But governments are to do good to their citizens. Just go on, let's do this very quickly. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities and not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. We are to obey the government as a matter of conscience which backs up what we were saying earlier, the state cannot tyrannize our conscience. If we're asked to do something against the word of God, in all conscience, we must disobey, but we obey because of conscience. And we pay taxes, verse 6. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servant who give their full time to governing. In the ancient world, taxes were common. They had a land tax and a poll tax and royalties and duties and so on. Nobody likes paying taxes. The current president of the United States once said that only fools pay taxes. No, Christians pay taxes. Good people pay taxes. Immoral people avoid taxes. Why? Because taxes pay for what God has ordained in terms of the the state. I I knew a a minister who um, told me that I was an idiot for paying tax. And that he had ways of getting around it. And he did have ways of getting around it. He even went to the high court. And I was just absolutely appalled at the attitude. I'm going to pay as little tax as possible. We may not like our government. We may not like lots of what it does. But if we don't pay taxes, then you don't get doctors and nurses and roads and and, uh, binmen and uh, civil servants and everything else that you need in a civilized society. That's why we work. We work so that we can provide for our families, so that we can give to the church, and so that we can pay taxes. Um, I, I must admit, this is no longer the case, but the first time I got a wage slip and I saw the bit about taxes coming off, I was really proud of myself. I thought, oh, yeah, well, that's great. I'm keeping the British state going, you know, with my 50p or something as it was, taxes. Oh, that's long gone. I look at it now and go, oh. But... We, we should, as Christians, we should pay our taxes gladly. And then lastly, this, verse 7. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. 
These, this is a very positive concept of the state. We, we don't tolerate the state as if it were a necessary evil. We submit to its authority. We give honor and respect. We will also seek in, a, in, a, in our society to encourage the state to fulfill its God-appointed role and, as we have opportunity, participate in its work. See, lots of Christians think that we should always be on the side of the status quo. Others think that we should always be revolutionaries. But I think Paul is teaching here a very, very different route. He's telling us that the state has limits. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 4, why, why in the church do you take matters of dispute to the state? The state definitely has limits. The government does not have control of the church, nor should it have control of the family. And we need to remember this, the state will wither. Only the word of God and the church of Christ are for eternity. Scotland isn't. You know, you could be a passionate Scottish nationalist or a passionate British nationalist, or I never thought I would hear this in my lifetime, but you can be apparently a passionate EU nationalist as well. And, and it's all going to go. Don't give your life for these things. No, no. The state is limited. Christians should never glory in the state or any form of it. I believe there's a pride in country, which is good, but I also believe that there's a nationalism which is dangerous uh, of whatever type, and we need to be very, very careful not to be proclaiming that we are the best in the world. Now, I don't have time to look in how church-state relations are done. Some people think that the state should control the church. Other people think the church should control the state. Neither of these are taught in the Bible. But I believe that what Paul teaches here is a kind of model of good neighbors and good friends. There are different authorities. In the free church, uh, we have this principle that's called the establishment principle. We believe it's good that the state recognizes Christianity particularly. And there are people who say, no, no, better not that that's the case. Listen, the state can't be neutral. Can't be neutral. I think it's, it is good that the state recognizes Christianity. That's why when the General Assembly occurs in a couple of weeks' time, there'll come a representative from the Queen, the Lord High Commissioner, and that's a recognition of the church, but it's also uh, our recognition of the state. Incidentally, one time I was a member of the Assembly and David Steele came as the Lord High Commissioner, and I'm afraid I walked out because he's a man who did one of the most harmful things that's ever been done, and that was the Abortion Act. And I wasn't going to stand there and bow, which is what we do, and bow before him. I, I, I thought it was appalling. I couldn't think of anything else to do. Uh, out of respect to Her Majesty, I didn't throw anything or do anything like that, but I just left. I just walked out. Because there are limits to what we do. But you need to remember in this country, we had a Christian education system. The hospitals came out of Christianity. The poor laws... There's a strong case that could be made that it was Thomas Chalmers who invented modern social work in this country. And as this country rejects Christianity, you will find that the NHS, the welfare system, the education system will go downhill. That's a prophecy because the state cannot be neutral. Lloyd-Jones in the 1960s said that the battle for many years will be against an aggressive secular humanism. 
And that's what's happened. His prophecy was correct, and that is what has happened. Having said that, it's never the business of the state to compel people to accept Christian teaching, nor is it the business of the state to compel people to accept atheist teaching. So let me leave it with just a couple of words of application. Number one, pray. Pray for kings and those in authority. Have you prayed about Brexit? You should. Have you prayed for the EU elections? Did you pray this week for Prince Archie? Isn't that great, Archie? You know, I just thought that's a good Scots name. Okay, the Montague, whatever, wins or whatever, kind of ruins it a wee bit, but Prince, Prince Archie, uh, let's pray for him. Um, but you do, pray for the Queen. You might be a Republican, pray for the Queen. It doesn't matter. Do you know one of the things that's absolutely marvelous about our country is this, that we have an official head of state who recognizes Jesus as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I reckon that's why she survived so long, and I reckon that's why she's had the wisdom to stay out of politics. I'm sorry, but if we had an elected president, President Blair or President May or President Sturgeon, whatever, do you think that would happen? No. So I give thanks to God for the Queen, uh, although I may not be a royalist. You know, it doesn't matter. I'm just, I, I admire her Christian witness uh, and, and dedication to duty. Do you pray for the First Minister? I'm not asking if you're a Scottish nationalist or like the First Minister. I'm asking, do you pray for her? You should. She's been in this church. She sat there and listened to the gospel being preached. Or for the Prime Minister, same thing. Pray. Secondly, get involved. We need more Christians involved in government and politics. Um, I was quite amused by Lloyd-Jones on this because he asked, can we have a Christian political party? And our Dutch brothers and sisters do. But Lloyd-Jones says this, you cannot have a Christian political party because Christians hold different views on the economy and other issues. You can have equally good Christians in the Conservative Party, the Liberal Party, and the Labour Party. And for the sake of balance, I should also add the SNP, the Brexit, and the Green Party. You can be, you can be Christians in any of those. Of course you can. But we do need to be involved. And then we need to have the courage to challenge. I think this is my favorite story in the whole of Scottish history. Andrew Melville, Presbyterian minister, appears before King James, the sixth and first. And um, the whole speech is wonderful, but it's this bit that's the best known. He said this, to King James, as I have told you many times, so this wasn't the first time he'd said it. As I have told you many times, uh, I'll do it in English because he did it in Scots, uh, twa kings and twa kingdoms and all that kind of stuff. And Owen would get it, but <laughs> not many others. No, he, he did it in broad Scots, but this is it in English. There are two kings and two kingdoms in Scotland. There is King James, the head of this commonwealth, and there is Christ Jesus, the king of the church, whose subject King James the sixth is, and of whose kingdom he is not a king, nor a lord, nor a head, but a member. Although the word he actually used, but a silly vassal. Uh, and, and, but a member. Sir, when you were in your swaddling clothes, Christ Jesus reigned freely in this land in spite of all his enemies. That's nerve. You know, that's nerve. Not rudeness. That's nerve. You are but a member of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the same as the poorest beggar in this kingdom. You have no special place. And I'm telling you, 
that we are going to need that courage in days to come. You can tell me what to do, but you can never tell me to disobey King Jesus, and I won't do it. I absolutely refuse whatever you do to me. I say as well that the church must never allow secular distinctions to come into the church. One day, maybe Prince Archie will visit this church. and Maybe he'll sit at the front with the rest of the kids, and maybe he'll go out with them. And maybe apart from having a bodyguard at the door, there should be no difference whatsoever. There should be no special seats and no special welcomes because everyone should know that they are welcome in the church of Jesus Christ. I, honestly, if, if our politicians would grasp this and see this notion of, of service and especially answerable to King Jesus on the judgment day, what a difference it would make to our culture and society. Let us pray that it would be so. And can I just simply say that if you are not a Christian, you have an urgent need yourself for you to come and acknowledge Jesus as King of your life. Let's pray. Lord, bless your word. So much in it. And we do pray that you would forgive anything that was said that was wrong, but just may we take what your word says and what you say. And we do pray for the First Minister and the Prime Minister and the Queen and for President Trump and for Putin and uh, for Xi Jinping, for Morrison and uh, for uh, Merkel and Macron and so many other leaders in this world. Lord, help them to see that they are to be your servants and enable them to look to you for guidance and help. And grant, O oh Lord, that we may live peaceable and good lives in this city, in this country, that we may proclaim your gospel and live for your glory and give us the courage to obey you when we are asked not to. In your name, amen. Let's finish by uh, singing, O Church Arise, and put your armor on. We'll stand to sing.